I was looking at the uh, order of service, thanks Sean, that they gave me today and it said 25 minutes for the sermon this morning and I laughed. <laughs> 25 minutes. Yeah, you'll discover, I, I don't think I can preach only 25 minutes. Um, I, uh, it'll probably be more like 30, 35, that's a, more of a normal for me, but my wife said, oh, it only feels like 20, dear, she's being very encouraging. Um, well, uh, thank you again. I, as I said, I'm just so excited to be here. I was, as we were worshiping this morning, uh, you know, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus, and I'm just praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit, and I just felt the Holy Spirit just kind of fill me up, and so I'm ready. I'm ready to preach this morning. i just give you a little update on our family. We are settling in very well. As I said, we have moved in to 39 Aberdeen Street. That's no secret. We want you to come and visit us. Um, we, we love company, and I know that uh, Shirley sort of gave a little protection over our family time and stuff like that, and that is important, but we also want you to know that our home is, uh, is open, and our doors are open, and we love to have people uh, come and visit, and uh, our home is part of our ministry. So please know that that is a, a place we want you to be in our home uh, doing life with us. Um, we've, we're experiencing a lot of changes right now, of course. As a family, this is a big change for us. We were nine years in Perth Andover, New Brunswick, and, uh, and that's a long time for our kids. That's the only life they've known was the New Brunswick, all except for Ruthie were born in, uh, in New Brunswick. And, uh, and so for our family, this is a, a real a time of, of change, a lot of change for us, a new community, new church, new school. Our kids will be going to Harmony Heights. And uh, yeah, and, and new people that were new neighbors. Uh, it's uh, new friends. So we're, we're really at the beginning of, of a new chapter in our lives. And I think for us as a church, now, and I say us, because now I am part of this church as well. Praise God. Um, we, are, we are now at the beginning of something new as well. We're turning a page. If you imagine flipping over a calendar, today is the 1st of September, and so if you still use a physical calendar, most of us use our phones, but if you still are one of those old-fashioned people that have a physical calendar in your home, which we do as well, um, today you flip over a calendar to a new page, and all the stuff that was in last month's calendar, all the markups that you had put on there, and the X's through the days, and all that stuff, that's all now in the past, and now we come to a new month with a blank slate and all kinds of new opportunities uh, waiting to be written into that calendar. And, and I feel like that's sort of where we are at now as a church, that we have this blank slate, this new opportunity this, for a fresh start into something new that God wants to do. And I get the sense that most people here are feeling uh, that, that uh, sort of like that about, about the church. As I, as I talk to people, I get this impression that we are so ready. We just can't wait for you to come and get started because we are ready for something new. And, and we're ready for change. We're ready for what's next. And there's a feeling of optimism and even excitement. And I want you to know I feel the same way too. We've been really excited. Like I said, I'm really eager to get started. And, and, to, and most of all, to start off to get to know you and to see and discern and listen uh, as to what God has in store for this church in this next chapter. Uh, in today's message, we're going to talk about how to navigate the new together. Because new can be a really good thing. And I've got some slides here. Here we go. New can be a really good thing. A really good thing. New can also be really hard. Change is hard. But 
New will be a great thing if God is in it and if God's people are united. Okay, so if you don't remember anything else today, that's the message, okay? This is, what we're, this is where we're going today. New can be good, new, but new can be hard, but new will be great if God is in it and if God's people are united. We're going to be turning in our Bible study to Ezra chapter 3, and I understand that last week, as I listened to Hudson uh, Trenum's message uh, last week and uh, on the podcast, and he preached from Nehemiah. So this is actually Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of one big story. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that he preached Nehemiah, and now I'm preaching Ezra. This is the prequel to Nehemiah. And... Uh, I first heard this uh, scripture, we're going to be in Ezra chapter 3, first heard this scripture taught and explained by one of my mentors, Malcolm Card. Does anybody know Reverend Reverend Dr. Malcolm Card? Yeah, some of you know that name. He lives in Moncton now. Um, He just celebrated his 50th year of ordination. And... uh, but Malcolm, uh, I got to know Malcolm actually when I was in Africa in 2008. I was in Kenya for a month with CBM as a student, and uh, Malcolm was there working with, uh, with CBM as the Africa team leader at the time, and his wife, Patty, and I got to know him, and, and, uh, and then as I went to Perth Andover, I learned that Malcolm Card was one of the pastors at Perth Andover as well. It was his first church, and it was my first church, so we felt this connection. Uh, and then I met him again when I was in Cuba with CBM, and he was there. We were together on a, on a, on a pastor's uh, trip that they sent pastors to the, Cuba on this trip, and we met again, and so we really fostered this relationship. And when we were in Cuba... Um, he he uh, shared as a devotional from this passage in Ezra chapter three, and uh, I had of course I've read the whole Bible through, and 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 you read you know you read the Bible, but then there's times when you really really it grips you you know, and you hear it for the first time or you hear it in a new way for the first time, and that's what he did with this passage, and I just love how he expanded on it. So I, I will full disclosure that this is not my ideas; these are. I got them from Malcolm Carter, and I'm sure he got them from somewhere else. Um, but Ezra chapter 3, and just some background before we read this in Ezra 3. Um, at this point in Israel's history, the year was, it, was year, it was 586 B.C. Uh, leading up to this. And uh, the Israelites uh, the, in the south were called the nation of Judah at the time. They were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. And the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and the Babylonians carried the Israelites off into exile in Babylon. This was a very, very dark time in the period of in, in Israel's history. It was, it was a very, very difficult time. You imagine the temple that Solomon built was destroyed, their place of worship, and, uh, and their city, and so they're off and they're, they're basically slaves in, in a foreign land. And that was the case for about 50 years until the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persian Empire. And the uh, leader of the Persian Empire was Cyrus. And Cyrus decreed that the Israelites could return to their land. And so in the year 538 BC, about 50 years after they were conquered, the Israelites begin trickling back into, uh, into the area around Jerusalem. And the leader of the Israelites at the time was a man named Zerubbabel. Okay, Zerubbabel. And the priest that was with him was Yeshua. 
And, uh, and so that's, this is what the book of Ezra is telling us about in the first part of the book of Ezra. And then the second part of the book of Ezra is about the man named Ezra. And then in the book of Nehemiah, it's about a man named Nehemiah. And so there's these three kind of stories that are all in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. But the first part is about Zerubbabel and him leading the, uh, the nation of Israel back into the land. And the first order of business for Zerubbabel and the people of Israel as they go back into the land is to rebuild the temple. So we're going to read here in Ezra chapter 3, uh, starting at the first verse. And Oh, and the title of the message is Cheers and Tears. Okay? Here we go. I'm reading from uh, the... Uh, ESV, although I think that my version of the ESV in the book is not exactly the same as what's on the screen, but we'll do our best here. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in... Yeah, it's totally different. Man, that's weird. Oh, I'm starting at the wrong verse. That's it. (laughs) Verse 8. Not verse 1, verse 8. Okay. Now in the second year... Here we go. That's good. Now in the second year... After they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem. So they've been there two years now. Uh, In the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen. This is a beginning. This is a moment of beginning, like similar to what we are at here now today. A moment of beginning. They made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity, the returning back home. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. And Yeshua with his sons and his brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah together, supervised the workmen in the house of God along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. So they start with the foundation, of course, naturally. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Amen, 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 amen. We're going to stop right there for now, but we're going to come back to it. All right. So they have this great moment of celebration. They lay the foundations for the new temple, the second temple, to rebuild, to replace the first temple that had been destroyed. And there was all this shouting with great joy and celebrating and praising God as the foundations of the temple were being laid. Around 50 years had passed since the temple and the city were destroyed. And, and the, as you think about it, the lifespans then at that period of time weren't very long. People didn't live to be as old as we live today. And so uh, most of the people who were now returning back after 50 years, uh, most of these people had never even seen the first temple. All these people probably were born in captivity in Babylon. Uh, and, uh, and so for them, th- this was a huge deal. They were part of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, this new beginning, this momentous historic time. Uh, um, the temple was just a thing that they had heard about in stories or read about in scriptures. But now here they were seeing the new temple, the second temple, being built. The moment was huge, very important in Jewish history. 
And as a side note, I love that they didn't wait until the project was complete to start celebrating. <laughs> they lay the foundations, and then they have a big party. And then they have a worship service to celebrate. I love that they did that. They celebrated little victories along the way. And that's a good lesson for all of us. Worship God with all the little victories. Don't wait till it's all complete. Celebrate and praise God and thank Him at every moment. So in this scene, as we read this, we see all this joy, all this celebration. It's this wonderful moment. But is it all joy? Is it all cheers? No, actually there's some tears too. As we continue and we read in verse 12, this is what it says. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, there were a few, the older men who had been there before, before it was destroyed, the first temple. Many of the old men who had seen the first house wept. They wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy. There were some of them that were celebrating, but there were some. There were some who were weeping, crying. And, and, and they were crying and all this noise and this, you know, talk about a worship service. You know, our worship, our Baptist worship services are sometimes pretty quiet, you know. Right? All right. We need to take a lesson from the Israelites. They were the first Pentecostals, okay. Here they're selling it so loud, it's chaotic, it's crazy. And it says, the, there, so there, there was this shouting and loud voice, loud shouting, but also this weeping so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Hmm. So in the midst of all this celebrating, there were these old men weeping with a loud voice. Why were they weeping on such a joyful occasion? Why were they weeping? They were weeping because they'd seen the first temple. And as they remembered the first temple that Solomon had built, this huge, beautiful, magnificent structure, and then they saw the foundations for the new temple, they realized this new temple is not going to be as big, and it's not going to be as glorious, it's not going to be as ornate, we don't have the same kind of money. That, you know, when Solomon built that temple, Israel was at its peak. You know, they had King David and Solomon, this was when they were at their strongest in their history. And now we, they're at one of their weakest moments. They just were slaves for 50 years, they're just returned, they have no money. They, so they're just doing their best, they're just building this, the best that they can do with what they have. And, and as the people who were there before look at what they're building, now they go, oh... It's not the same as it used to be. It's just not the same as it used to be. And they wept. They wept. Basically, they were longing for the good old days. And so they wept. And it says, mixed in with the cheers of celebration were tears of disappointment. One group was looking ahead with optimism toward the future. And another was looking back with longing for the past. It's really an interesting scene, isn't it? And there's no commentary. The, the, the author of, of this book doesn't say, and, you know, these people were wrong or these people were right. It doesn't say anything like that. It just tells us what happened and it leaves us there for us to imagine it in our heads and to think about it. 
And as I imagine it, and as I think about it, I think that what we have here is a snapshot of the realities surrounding change. It's a look at how people deal differently with new things. New can be good. Change can be good. I happen to think change in the church is not only good, but necessary. But change can also be hard. New realities as we face them sometimes don't live up to our expectations. Sometimes the new just doesn't feel as good as the old. It's just not the same. And that's hard. There's grief associated with change sometimes. Somebody said one time, the only person who likes change is a wet baby. (laughs) Yeah. And I think my mom and dad are here this morning. They would say that my older brother probably didn't even mind being wet. He would just sit. I remember them saying that. He would just, all day, he'd be fine. Um, (laughs) It's true. People don't like change. But it's also, it's not entirely true. Um, Some people, a small percentage of weird people, really like change. Uh, In my, uh, we got some change people here? Yeah. All right. in my other church, in Perth Andover, uh, there was a lady there, Marianne, and I don't know if she wouldn't mind me mentioning her name. Um, she loves change, and she was one of our favorite people in, in Perth Andover. And, uh, and she helped organize these really amazing Christmas things that we would do every year. And, uh, and they were just incredible. Like the first year we did it, we had over 700 people that showed up, and the second year, the same. And then, and, and, uh, and then the third year, we're like, okay, let's do it again. And she's like, nah. Like, what do you mean? Nah, it was a huge success. She's like, no, let's do something different. You know, we've already done it twice. Let's do something new. And we're like, what? We already, but it was such a big success. No, come on. Let's think big. Think bigger. And so we did something different. And even more people were reached. Um, and, uh, and then and we're like, well, let's do that again. She's like, no, let's do something different. We've already done that. Uh, she's that kind of person. And uh, some people are like that. I read a book. Uh, I just read a book called Who Moved My Pulpit? What a great book. about. It's about leading change in the church. And, uh, and uh, he says in this book, Tom Rainer. He says, uh, as he considers the makeup of the average church, he says that uh, roughly 5% of the people in the average church are eager for change. They're in this Marianne Bell category. These are, the, these are people who are like so ready. Like, come on, like we will change everything. I don't care. Let's, let's, let's throw out everything we've ever done and start from scratch. Like these are these kinds of people. And there's 20% of people who are open to change. They're, they're in the category of, you know, um, you know, just just demonstrate a good reason for the change, and yeah, we'll we'll go ahead, no problem. You know, uh, so about 25% of people in the church, according to this guy, are are really open to change, and about 30%, he says, are followers. They'll just go wherever the loudest and most convincing voices are. Okay. And then 25% are resistant to change. They're, they're, they're not so sure, you know, that they really like doing things a new way. I like things the way they are, you know. We got a good thing going here. Why would we change it? And then uh, 20% are highly resistant to change. These are the folks who put up a stink every time you want to move a piece of furniture or paint a wall or something like that. I know none of you are in that category, right? This church, these, these numbers do not accurately represent this church, right? Right? Uh, right. Good. So yeah, it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. It really is. Um, and it, and it, but it's safe to say that even for the most eager, 
Change, generally speaking, can be hard. Doing new things is hard. It takes courage. It takes resolve. It takes sacrifice. While some people are celebrating, other people may be feeling a deep sense of loss. While some people are ready to move, ready, just eager, ready to move on to what's next, others may still be thinking about what happened before. Not so sure they're ready to change. While some are focused on future, others are focused on past. So back to the scene in Jerusalem. Who's right? As we look at this, who's right? Oh, cool. Well, young pastor, he's going to say, of course, those people that are looking forward to the future and not crying about the past. They're the ones who are right. No, I'm not saying that, actually. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that at all. What it does say, and I like this, it says that the sounds of the weeping and the cheering were indistinguishable from one another. It says that they were mixed together. In the New Living Translation, it says the joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together into a loud noise. And maybe that's part of the answer for us. Maybe it's the mingling together. Yeah, you see that scripture. You could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. Maybe it's the mingling together of both the memory of the past and the excitement for the future that will help lead the church in the right direction. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to a fellow pastor, Titus, reminded him that the older men should teach the younger men and the older women should teach the younger women. There's a multi-generational thing that should be happening. There are things that the young can learn from the old. There are lessons for the future that we must learn from the past. And so the past has value for us as a teacher as we're moving ahead into the future. Let me say that again, because that's so good. The past has value for, for us as a teacher as we are moving together ahead into the future. But we have to be careful that clinging to the past doesn't prevent us from doing new things. Some quotes here from some people who are smarter than I am. Warren Wearsby, he says, The past must be a rudder to guide us and not an anchor to hold us back. Reverend Dr. Leonard Anderson, some of you would know him too, from the other Emmanuel Baptist Church, with an E. Uh, people, say, people keep spelling it. They say, oh, you're going to Emmanuel, and they spell it with an E. I say, no, it's not with an E, it's with an I. Anyway, uh, Lennon from Halifax area, he was our speaker at Oasis a few years ago, and he said, I remember him saying this, he said, and I'll say it, I can't say it quite like he says it, but he says, the past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. By the way, by the way, let me just say this. I like it when you interact with me, okay? So uh, don't be Baptist, uh, all right? Respond. Say amen. Say hallelujah, all that kind of stuff. That's a good thing. When I was growing up, my pastor, he said, say yeehaw. And so in our church growing up, we'd say yeehaw. Um, and anyway, yeah, you can say yeehaw if you want to. Um, one of the wisest voices of our generation Rafiki from The Lion King. Oh, it's not changing. There we go. He said, the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it 
or learn from it. Okay? So every person, every church has a past mixed with wonderful and painful memories. The key is learn from it. Learn from it. A rudder to guide us. A place of reference. The Bible uh, uses the word remember a lot. Remember. And I looked up, I did a, a word search on remember in my Bible software, and you get tons and tons of responses. But just two examples of where it says to remember in the scriptures. There it is. Deuteronomy 32. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. It's a very, there's this idea, very deep idea that we need to respect the elders. We need to learn from the elders. Okay? Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord brought you. Remember what God has done. And of course, the Bible tells us to hold tightly to his word. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. God's unchanging word is one of those ancient things. This is an old book, but one of these ancient things that we must never let slip from our hands. This has to guide us. This is our compass. This is our GPS. This is our life. God's word. And so God encourages us to look back, to remember. But he also encourages us to look ahead. We can see as we read scripture that God is very interested in doing new things. Let me just read some of the scriptures that I looked up that are about God doing new things or the idea of new through the scriptures. Psalm 33, verse 3. Sing to him a new song. That's a good one, isn't it? I want to sing all the old hymns. Ah, the Bible says sing a new song. So, sorry. We have to sing some new ones every once in a while because we have to obey the word, right? Okay, sing to him a new song. Uh, Isaiah 42, 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing. God speaking. 48, verse 6, Isaiah, I, now, I announce to you new things. God speaking again. Lamentations, chapter 3, His mercies are new every morning. Fresh starts. God has a big eraser, praise God. Jeremiah 31, 31. This is one of the most important verses in the whole of the Old Testament, by the way. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart a flesh. New, the New Testament. Here we go. We got a whole New Testament. All right. Talk about new. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. They were all amazed. The disciples saying, what is this? A new teaching. Jesus. A new teaching with authority. John 13, 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Romans 7, 6. But we are now released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, to the old covenant. We're released from that so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Mm, hallelujah. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.25, Jesus says as he's, as he's serving the Last Supper, this cup, and we're going to celebrate this today, is the new covenant in my blood. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Yeah. New creation. There you go. The old has passed away. Behold, the 
New has come. And in the book of Revelation, the Revelation is all about new, right? New names, that we're going to get new names. There's going to be a new Jerusalem. We're going to sing new songs. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God is doing everything new. And it says in Revelation 21, verse 5, God says, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. God wants to do new things. And he's doing new things. And he will do new things. And as a church, we have got to figure out what new things God is doing in our midst and get on board. We've got to join God in our neighborhoods. We've got to figure out what new things he's doing and join him. The churches that get this right... The churches that get this right. I'm not sure if this clicker is working. Is it not working, fellas? Anyway. Okay, we're not there yet. Um, The churches that get this right, this balance between the old and the new, this balance between learning from the past while boldly, boldly forging ahead into the future, these are the churches that are going to thrive and grow in the 21st century. God is doing a new thing. New can be good, new can be hard, but new will be great if God is in it. And that's what I really want us to hear this morning. That new will be great if God is in it and if God's people are united. I believe that God has greater things in store for Truro and greater things in store for Emmanuel Baptist Church. The church in the near future is not going to look the same as it did in the past. It's going to look a lot different, and some will weep. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I believe God is going to do something even greater than he's done before. And this is interesting. If you go to the book of Haggai uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet Haggai was a prophet at the time of Zerubbabel and Yeshua and these people that were coming back into the land uh, and, and rebuilding the temple. He was the prophet at that time. There seemed to be a prophet for almost every time period. He was God's man at that time. And in the book of Haggai, starting in chapter 2, we read this, starting in chapter 2 and verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Yeshua, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? These are the older folks. How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong. It looks to you like it's nothing, but yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Work, work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Man, that's so reassuring. Fear not, 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Here these are poor, penniless Israelites coming back, and God is saying, Remember what it was like in the days of David and the days of Solomon when you were rich. You were the richest nation in the world. I'm going to do that again. I'm going to bless you so much. I'm going to bless your socks off, God is saying to them. And he says in verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And get this, this is my favorite verse. Verse 9, the latter glory of this house shall be what? Greater. Greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts peace. It might not seem it right now, but the new thing is going to be better than the old thing. God is going to do something even greater than he's done before. If God is in it, it's going to be great. The other key is that we are united. We need the mix of cheers and tears. We need all the voices coming together as one. Interestingly, another thing about this passage that's kind of cool, those who were saddened at the sight of the new temple's foundations in that first scene, the ones that were weeping when others were celebrating, they didn't stand in the way of the new. They didn't get in the way of what God was doing. So we go to Ezra chapter 6. Just a couple, passages, a couple verses, uh, chapters over from Ezra 3. And we see now in Ezra 6, they finished the temple. So some years have passed now. They finished the temple in Ezra 6. And as the last parts of the project are being completed, who does it say was working, continuing to build, putting the last bricks in place? Who was it? The elders. It was the elders. They're the ones working on the new temple. It says the elders continued to build. That means they were building all along. Even though they were weeping, even though they were sad, even though this was change and this was hard and this was a new thing and they weren't so fully convinced right from the start, nonetheless, they were building. They were working because as Haggai said, work for the Lord is with you. They were working. They were participating. They were there. And what else does it say? They prospered. They continued to build and prosper. God was blessing them. And in verse 16, the temple is completed, there's, and there's no more tears, only cheers. As it says, the people of Israel, the priests, Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. Everybody celebrated. We are at an important moment in our church's history today. Today, we flip over a calendar to a new page. And we eagerly Wait to see what God wants to do among us. And with that will come change. And change can be hard. But I believe that if we use the past as a rudder rather than an anchor, as a place of reference, but not as a place of residence, and we are guided by the Holy Spirit, and we are united side by side, 
moving forward together in grace and love and patience and mutual sacrifice, that God is going to do greater things at Emmanuel Baptist Church than he's ever done before. Amen? Amen. It says, yeah, praise God. It says the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord. And in this place, I will give peace. There will be much to celebrate at every step along the way together.